You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's good to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll be looking at verses 11 down to verse 15. And this portion of Scripture gives us a picture of what it looks like to live a rather persuasive life for Christ's glory. But before we take a look at that, I want to just go over just a couple quick things with you. First of all, I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. We started our podcast last month, and each week we've been welcoming new listeners to the show. So if you're a new listener, we appreciate you, and thanks for joining us. And if this is a ministry that you appreciate, there are two quick ways that we encourage you to partner with us or help this ministry to continue. And the first is becoming a patron of our podcast, and you can do that by visiting pastor.us and clicking on the link just underneath the podcast logo. And what we're going to be doing in coming weeks, as a thank you to those of you that are patrons of our podcast, is we're going to be releasing some extra content that will be shared with all patrons, just as a small way of thanking you for helping us underwrite the cost of our hosting and production, and we'll be delivering that content soon. And the other way that you can be a blessing to this ministry is by simply leaving us a rating or a review on iTunes. What iTunes does is they promote podcasts that receive a certain amount of reviews, and so as a newer podcast, we could use your help in that area. So next time you're logged into iTunes, if you could leave a rating or a review, we would be grateful. And like I said, to become a patron of our podcast, you could visit us at pastor.us and just click the link that's found right underneath the podcast logo. Now, I mentioned a few moments ago as we started up this podcast episode today, that we'll be talking about living a rather persuasive life. And when you think about moments in time when you've been persuaded to do something or to try something or to consider something, there's usually a pattern to that, but probably the biggest aspect of that is by seeing something at work for the benefit of the user that you believe would also be beneficial to you. I was thinking this past week of when I was persuaded to finally buy a smartphone, and I probably shouldn't say finally buy one because I think I was an earlier adopter to that kind of technology. But a member of my family had purchased an iPhone uh, back at the end of 2008, or maybe it was early 2009, and she was showing me it. She was showing me how it worked. I was fascinated by it, and so I decided after using it for a little bit, that I'd go out and buy one for myself. And now for about eight years or so, I've been using one. I was persuaded by seeing how easy it worked and how enjoyable it was to use compared to the phone that I had been using. And the portion of Scripture that we're going to be looking at today talks about living a persuasive life. And again, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting with verse 11. And this is what the Apostle Paul says in that passage. He says, Therefore, Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, 
Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege of being able to look at it together today. And Lord, as we look at what you communicated to us through the Apostle Paul, we pray that we would understand more about what it looks like to live a persuasive life in this world that points directly to Jesus Christ. We know, Lord, that that can only be accomplished in your power and in your strength, and so we pray that by your grace that you would do that for us, and that that would be the kind of testimony that would come forth from our lives. So, Lord, we commit this time to you, and we thank you for the privilege of being able to look at your word together today. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been spending some time looking at the book of 2 Corinthians. And when you look at the book of 2 Corinthians, you could see as you go through it that the Apostle Paul makes it abundantly clear that Christ's strength is sufficient for us in the midst of our human weakness. And one of the things that the Lord delights to do is he delights to take simple lives like your life and like my life and do amazing things through us, and to testify to his greatness through people like us, and to point people to himself through the persuasive testimony that he fosters in your life and my life, because our lives are living proof of the presence of Christ and the value of knowing Christ, the value of having a personal relationship with Christ. And when you look at this portion of Scripture, there are a variety of things that the Apostle Paul illustrates about what this kind of persuasive life looks like. And one of the things, one of the principles that he brings up early in this section is this idea that a persuasive life knows the fear of the Lord. Look again at what he says in verse 11. He says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. Let's pause there for just a moment. For the past few weeks, I've made a change to my daily routine. I used to try to go to the gym first thing in the morning, but that's when it's crowded. And I always feel like I'm in a rush when I'm uh, at the gym first thing in the morning. So since I'm a terrible sleeper to begin with, I've started to go at night. And on my way home from the gym, I always see deer. I live in Pennsylvania, and deer are quite common here in Pennsylvania. And last Tuesday night, in fact, I came around one corner, and I was instantly greeted by at least 20 of them. And I immediately slowed my car down because I was fearful that one of them might jump out. I'm not afraid of deer in particular, but I do have a healthy respect for the kind of damage that they can do to a car. And when you look at this portion of Scripture, as Paul begins this section, he begins this particular verse by speaking about fear. And specifically, he's mentioning the fear of the Lord. And he expresses the fact that he knows or he is well acquainted with the fear of the Lord. But what is Paul talking about here? Is Paul talking about this idea of being afraid? Is he encouraging us to be afraid of God? Or is there a more precise meaning to what he's talking about? Well, the concept of fear that Paul's speaking about is synonymous with the idea of having a healthy reverence or a healthy respect for someone. Years ago, uh, let's see, this would have been about 15 years ago or so, I actually met a former vice president of the United States. And when I reached out to shake his hand, I wasn't afraid that he was going to try and hit me or something like that. 
But I respected his role, and likewise, I respected the Secret Service agents that were surrounding him at the moment. But when you look at what Paul's talking about in this passage, he's talking about the fact that God is worthy of our reverence and respect. That's the kind of fear that he's talking about, the idea of showing God reverence and respect. And Paul speaks about knowing the fear of the Lord. He speaks about having a deep reverence, a deep respect for God. It's a very healthy thing for us to be aware of and to live with as our mindset. Practically speaking, you can tell a lot about whether someone has a healthy fear of the Lord by the manner in which they choose to live. If I revere him and believe that he loves me enough to discipline me, my life will reflect that. If I care more about the temptations of this world than I care about showing the Lord respect, then my life will reflect that as well. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, it tells us this related to the fear of the Lord. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And I'll say this, it's one of my primary life priorities to encourage others to trust in Christ and to follow him. So every Sunday I stand up in front of our church family and I try to persuade people to give their lives to Christ. I write books about this subject. I record podcasts about this. I post on social media with regularity uh, with this as the chief aim of my posts. And many of you do the very same things and, and maybe even more things. But how persuasive can a messenger of God be if they don't personally fear the Lord? What about their life would persuade another person to consider following Christ if that's not the dominant pattern of the messenger? Paul wanted the Corinthians and he wanted all people to know Christ deeply, but he also knew that Christ's ambassadors needed to carry themselves in this world in such a way that the fear of the Lord was a dominant motivation in their perspectives and actions. Well, Paul goes on a little bit further in this passage in verse 12 and verse 13 to also tell us that a persuasive life doesn't boast in outward appearances. Look at what he says here. He says, We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Has anyone ever called you crazy? (laughs) Um, I have... I have several teenagers now. My um, my third child turns uh, 13 this week, so three of my four children now will be teenagers. And I remember when I was in my mid-teens, while I was trying to figure out who I was and what I was all about, I decided at one point that I wanted my friends to actually think that I was crazy. And not crazy in the insane sense, but crazy in the sense that if something was going to take place that was outside the norm, I wanted to be right in the middle of it. So at that season of my life, I caused a lot of mischief. I pulled a lot of pranks. And I I actually, I made sure not to brag about those pranks in the midst of that because I learned that if you bragged, you got caught. And I wanted to pull pranks. I didn't necessarily want to get caught doing that. Um, But my favorite prank was when I actually set up a friend's locker to explode with baking soda and vinegar that would mix when he opened the door. 
And uh, <laughs> it worked rather well, and I still have to admit that I laugh about how well it worked. But that's not the kind of crazy that this passage is speaking of. There are people who thought the Apostle Paul was crazy. People thought he was out of his mind. People thought he was more than just slightly fanatical. In fact, in Acts chapter 26, verses 24 and 25, it says this, And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. So we could see by the pattern of Paul's life that he was certainly intensely passionate about making the gospel known throughout this world, wherever the Lord would give him an open door to proclaim it, because he was so thankful for the fact that Christ forgave and redeemed him, and he wanted that good news, and he wanted that divine gift of of Christ's salvation to reach as many people as possible, even those who hated him, and even those who thought he was crazy. Let's think about this from a personal standpoint for just a moment. What keeps us from openly sharing the good news of salvation with others? Wouldn't you say that most often it's a fear of what they will think of us or how we think that might make us look? Some Christians in this world are currently being genuinely and intensely persecuted. But here in the United States, are we being beaten and are we being put in prison for our faith? Not usually. Not commonly. Are we being fired from our jobs because we're believers? Is there a risk of us being executed because we bear the name of Christ? Those things don't commonly happen, do they? The worst thing that tends to happen in our context is someone makes a face at you or says something insulting, and yet that's enough to keep many Christians quiet here in our context. One of the dominant driving forces in our lives and in the lives of those we know is the desire to be thought of well by others. At times, we become overly concerned with outward appearances, and we become less concerned with what's taking place in our hearts and less concerned with what the Lord wants to do in the hearts of others as they hear the gospel, as they trust in Christ, as they follow his teaching, and as he uses us as his messengers to convey that. I have a friend that, um, I'll just be honest and say that he he sometimes is annoying to me. <laughs> um, I only see him once or twice a year. I genuinely like him, but the reason I'm I'm jokingly saying that he's annoying is because whenever I see him, he always reminds me that I'm not very tall. And I've considered responding by complimenting him on his ability to grow wider every time I see him, but I hold my tongue because I know that that's not polite. But all kidding aside, the truth is this world is overly focused on outward appearances right? Our height, our weight, our size, whatever. Uh, The world is overly focused on prestige, titles, accolades, things like that. But what's the Lord looking at? Well, Scripture reveals to us that the Lord is looking at our hearts, and he knows what is truly motivating us. And he knows if his glory is the chief aim of our lives. And so as this Scripture talks about this idea of living a persuasive life, it tells us that a persuasive life isn't a life that boasts in outward appearances. 
And there's one other principle that is brought up in this portion of Scripture about a life that's lived persuasively for Christ's glory. And it's in verses 14 and 15 where it tells us that a persuasive life is controlled by Christ's love. Look again at those verses. They say, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. It's a beautiful portion of Scripture. And it, it kind of begs a variety of questions, I guess, but one of the questions that it, that it kind of brings up in my mind is this concept of what's the nicest thing that anyone's ever done for you? Because when you look at this portion of Scripture, it tells us some wonderful things that Christ has done on our behalf, and it makes you wonder, you know, what? In, just in our day-to-day life, what's the nicest thing that anyone has ever done for you? I don't know if you're familiar with the name of uh, Sam Weish, uh, but he can answer that question. Weish is a former NFL player and a former coach. He played for the Washington Redskins, and uh, he, he played and he coached for the Cincinnati Bengals. And right now he's about 70 years old, and he needed a heart transplant. And I saw something about this on TV recently. But when he was speaking with his doctors, he was initially told there wasn't anything available for him. And then, very quickly, a heart became available. And in a six-hour surgery, Sam Weish was given a new heart. And when when he was asked about it, he said, you feel revived. He said, you feel like you've been spared for a reason, and now the search for what is the reason that God gave you to have another chance at life, which is exactly what happened. Those are Sam Weish's words. That's what he said. And he also said that he hopes that he can meet the donor's family so that one day he can express the depth of his thanks. So what's the nicest thing that anyone has ever done for us? Well, if we're going to speak in ultimate terms, that's answered in this passage, because this passage reminds us that Jesus Christ died for us. He took on flesh, he lived a sinless life, and died on the cross because of my sin and because of your sin. And then he rose from the grave and lives forever. He died for us that we too might live, and that this new life, this second chance that we've been given, will not be lived selfishly. We're being told here that the calling on your life and my life, or the way that we can say thank you, is by living for him who died on our behalf and was raised again. Selfishness is the mindset of this world, but it should never be the mindset of one who has been blessed with new life in Jesus Christ. Once our hearts and our minds grab hold of what Jesus has truly done for us, That produces a change. And what it does is it takes a selfish, dead man like like I was and like you were, and it makes us selfless, selfless people who are alive forever in Jesus Christ. And it also changes what compels us. It also changes what motivates us. We're no longer controlled by the passions of our old nature. We're controlled by the love of Christ. We aren't controlled by anger. We're not controlled by the need to be right. We're not controlled by a political or a social philosophy. We're not controlled by fear. Christ's love is now the driving force in our lives. 
His love changes the way we interact with one another and share life together. His love changes the way that we speak to our spouses or to our kids. His love changes the thoughts that we permit our minds to dwell on. His love changes the what-if scenarios that we used to allow our minds to dwell on in fear. His love even changes the negative self-talk that we allow to impact our sense of identity or our, or our sense of worth. All of these things used to be controlled by this world's agenda, which ultimately produces death, disease, discouragement, and despair. But now we're controlled by Christ's love. And we have hope that is not anchored in circumstances. Our hope is anchored in him. When that takes hold, that's a very persuasive way to live. If you and I are changed by Christ, living in respect of God, not boasting in outward appearances, but focusing on Christ's work in our hearts as we submit ourselves to his love controlling us, his mission for our lives in this world will be complete, and our lives will serve as a powerful and persuasive testimony to others who need his presence as well. He's persuading others to come to know him through you and through me, as his power is at work within us and his life is being lived out through us. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for your goodness and we're so grateful for your love. We're just grateful, Lord, today for the fact that you are present with us and that you have granted us new life Lord Jesus, we know that you came to this earth, you died for us, and then you rose again. And you look at us, and we were living in this dead and selfish state. But compassionately, Lord, you rescued us and you redeemed us the moment we trusted in you. And you've granted us new life. And as we live this new life, empowered by you, you make a compelling and a persuasive case as your love is on display in our lives day by day as we're controlled or compelled by your love, you make a persuasive case to this world that they too should come to know you. Lord, we're so grateful for the fact that you make this argument or compelling case through us because we know that we're not vessels that are naturally worthy of you using us in this kind of capacity. But that's what you choose to do. You love us, Lord, and you just pour out your love into our lives, and it overflows into the lives of those around us as you do your work in and through us. And so we're grateful, Lord, that we can be part of your family and that you're accomplishing this kind of work in us, and that this kind of purpose is something that we can recognize is your desire for our lives and how our lives are to be lived out in this world. So, Lord, we're grateful for today. We're grateful for this reminder from your word, and we commit this day and this week to your care, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to the informal Bible study. We're grateful that you're with us for each episode as we bring these episodes to you each week. And again, if you'd like to be someone who helps make this show happen, if you'd like to be a supporter uh, of this ministry, if you'd like to be someone who encourages us as we seek to provide this content week by week, we mentioned at the start and at the end of each episode that there's two quick ways that you could do that. And one is by becoming a patron of this podcast and helping us underwrite our hosting and 
and production expenses. And even if you're just able to chip in a dollar, it honestly makes a huge difference as that's combined with the efforts of others as well who support this ministry. And you can do that via our website at Pastor. Dot us. If you're using the Podbean app to listen to this show, you could also do that via that app as well, and we are greatly appreciative of that. And the next time you're logged into iTunes, if you could leave us a rating or a review there, that's also a huge help to us as we seek to connect with new listeners throughout this world. Uh, we're so grateful that your ratings and reviews help us as iTunes calculates their algorithm as to uh, what podcasts to promote in their system. And your ratings and reviews make a huge difference as we seek to expand our listener base. So thanks again for listening. Thanks again for being part of this ministry. And we hope that you have a wonderful day and a great week. And we look forward to getting together again with you soon. Thanks again. want to better understand the Bible and give biblical answers to those who ask you about your faith? Hi, this is Perseus Poku, host of the Sound Reasoning Podcast Show. Listen to us weekly as we bring the truth often found in the ivory towers of seminary down to the steeple towers of local church. Join me along with many of the nation's top theologians as we offer answers to life tough questions from an apologetic perspective. Subscribe to the show at lifeaudio.com.